Personal Detours with Regina Brett, where in 10 minutes or less, you get tips, tools, and takeaways to help you love yourself, your life, and everyone in it. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Regina Brett. My mom used to have a special holy box in her bedroom. The wooden box was right across from the foot of her bed. Behind the glass window, it held a dozen round containers, about the size of a quarter. Inside each, behind a layer of glass, were relics of the saints, bone chips no bigger than a speck. Saints were big in our house, huge. A four-foot-high statue of Mary stood at the cedar chest, looking over my parents in their bedroom at night. How they conceived 11 children in that room is beyond me. We grew up reading the lives of the saints, standard Catholic literature in every house. After a few chapters, you got the picture of what sainthood entitled, and it wasn't pretty. Saints were beheaded, burned alive, tortured, raped. It seemed that only virgins and martyrs need apply for canonization. Sanctity required superhuman suffering and sacrifice. We were all named after a saint three times. Our first name, middle name, and confirmation name. You had to be named after a saint. At birth, your parents chose the name of a saint as a model and a guardian over their child. To choose our confirmation name, we flipped through volumes of the lives of the saints to find out how they were martyred. On Halloween at Immaculate Conception School, we were encouraged to dress up as saints. Most kids chose costumes to depict St. Patrick with his staff driving out snakes in Ireland, St. Francis in a brown robe and a rope belt, or St. Nicholas in a Santa suit. A few kids tried to pull off Joan of Arc, but the nuns frowned upon wearing makeup to look like Burns. The Vatican enforced rules about who was a real saint. You needed proof in the form of miracles, at least three. There's a saint for every occasion, disease, and problem. St. Christopher, patron saint of travelers. Chris was magnetically stuck to our dashboards until a pope came along and demoted him. St. Joseph, patron saint of realtors. If you can't sell your house, you bury Joe in the yard upside down and a sold sign magically appears out of the grass a few days later. If you lose something, pray to St. Anthony. He ran the cosmic lost and found. We pray, something's lost and must be found. Please take a look around. Or dear St. Anthony, we pray, bring it back without delay. And voila, the purse, the wallet, the $5 came back like a boomerang. If you lost something more important, like your mind, you pray to St. Jude, the patron saint of hopeless causes. Saints were the liaison to God. In the holy lineup, Mary was the marquee player, the queen of mercy and love. Nearly every Catholic has heard the story about how heaven was filling up with all sorts of undesirables. When Jesus complained to St. Peter about letting him in, Peter said, don't blame me. I turn them away from the pearly gates and your mom lets them all in the back door. There's also a popular sermon about the boy who kept praying to Jesus for a bicycle but never got it. One day, the kid wrapped up a statue of Mary and hid it in the closet. He folded his little hands together, got down on his knees and said, Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again. In time, I came to realize that holiness and halos weren't merely for those stained glass saints. There are unofficial saints among us, people who simply love God and others without any blood or gore to show for it. People like my Uncle Johnny. He had x-ray vision. My Uncle Johnny could see God in everybody. I never knew that till I started reading his daily emails. For months, he sent them with gospel excerpts. At first, I deleted them without a glance. Then one day, I scrolled down and actually read his personal reflections. My dad's youngest brother never tried to be profound, never tried to convert, 
never tried using Christianity as a club. He saw the holy in the ordinary, in the average, in the unpleasant. He turned problems into parables, like the night his furnace quit. He wrote, I called Rick Swan, who helped me once before. He wasn't home, so I began taking the blower apart, afraid some forgotten step would end in a night without heat. As I tried to remove the motor from the blower cage, the phone rang. It was Rick, who talked me through the procedure. It was as if God was standing nearby, reminding me of my dependence on him. My Uncle Johnny saw God's reflection in his wife, Barbara, and the ten children he raised, and every stranger he passed. He wrote, Like all the everyday faithful, I have known loneliness, been stuck on freeways with stalled cars, mopped up the vomit when children fought the flu or some unknown virus. Nevertheless, he has embraced me, has made his presence known to me, often in the person of Barbara, or sunshine in the marsh filled with green. Or when I sit silently, he interrupts the breaths that come and go, with a mysterious nudge suggesting that I whisper his presence to a three-year-old, or the cart boy at Mark's deep discount store. One day, my Uncle Johnny emailed a list of sacred places. It included the swimming hole he used as a boy, the tool repair room at the Cadillac plant where he worked, University Hospital's Ireland Cancer Center, aisle one of Mark's deep discount store. My uncle turned a past of poverty into a litany of gratitude, recalling tender mercies granted to him by the midwife on the farm my grandpa lost during the Depression, by the first black family he'd ever met who came to his first communion, by the boy who carried him on bike handlebars to a basketball game, my uncle thanked strangers he never met, migrants who picked the bananas he ate, the Chinese woman who sewed the parka that kept him warm. My uncle Johnny was a radical Christian, something rare in a culture that values justice over mercy and compassion. He wrote, love your wife, your mother and father, your teacher who bores you to death, your annoying brother. Like Mary and Joseph, you present to Jesus everyone you meet, cashiers at the giant eagle, drivers who talk on cell phones, Friends, memories of those you love long dead. What a privilege to share in Jesus' Calvary and bring his amazing grace to an unknown. Amazing grace. That's what he was full of right until the end. And he didn't have it easy. My uncle lost a son who died in a motorcycle accident in his 20s, and I think it just deepened his faith. When my uncle died at 77, they placed him in the weirdest-looking coffin, it was so deep, you had to bend over it and peer in to see it. Like a bathtub, the coffin was homemade. When my uncle was going through treatments for cancer, he and my aunt discovered a little Amish boy needed a ride to the hospital for leukemia treatments. My uncle and aunt brought him to and from the hospital. That boy's family made my uncle's coffin. I miss my uncle's emails, but I still see the daily reflections in the cart boy at Mark's and the drivers on their cell phones, in the everyday faithful. There are relics of saints everywhere, all around us. I once heard it said that a saint is someone who knows how much God loves them. To know that fully means you live without demands on others for anything. It's a love of God and others carried to extravagance. You don't have to possess supernatural power to be a saint. It doesn't mean you're above being human. It means you are fully human. Sainthood isn't reserved for a chosen few. It's asked of the many. Thanks for listening to Little Detours with Regina Brett. I'm grateful you joined me and hope you keep coming back. 
You can subscribe to Little Detours with Regina Brett at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. While you're there, please give me a rating and a review so I can reach even more people. If you want more inspiration, head to my website, reginabrett.com. While you're there, sign up for my newsletter, and every Sunday you'll get inspiration in your email box. Thanks for listening. Now go make something possible.